Right, good morning, Trace. How we feeling this morning? Man, it is good to see everybody. Hey, I want to do something really quick that I probably don't do enough of, and that is just welcome everybody that's tuning in online. I want to let you know that I got an email this last week, and we have our first um, visitor, online visitor from Antarctica watching online. So can we give it up for those guys watching us? Yeah, it's wild how, how, you know, technology and all the advancements have allowed our reach, you know, the reach of the gospel to go, again, Antarctica. And this gentleman was letting me know, he's like, hey, I just kind of stumbled upon your all's church and your content and the sermons. And he said, I've been sending them to my, to my family, to my friends. And it's like, man, that's just, it's crazy. It's crazy how God can use that. Well, today I am finishing on what I started a couple weeks ago, which is uh, a vision message, and today's going to be part two, and if you're new with us today, I'll kind of catch you up to speed because you don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now. Uh, One of the things that I'll do once or twice a year is set aside what we have previously planned to preach on, maybe a series we were going to get into, and instead um, just bring a specific message to our church, and oftentimes These messages that we've labeled as vision messages are coming from a different place deep in my soul, a different place of conviction. Uh, Maybe it's something that I feel like is timely, that I feel God has led me to share with our church at a specific time and in a specific way, and that's what this is. And what I thought was only going to be one message ended up being two messages. And so for those of you that didn't get to hear part one, let me just catch you up to speed really quick. Has God ever given you a word? Like just a word, just one word that he wants you to focus on. I think the Holy Spirit does this at times because he just wants to simplify something for us. Maybe for you, he's given you the word to focus on, and maybe that word's forgiveness. Maybe for you, it's resist. Maybe for you, it's persevere. Maybe it's strength. Maybe it's truth. Maybe it's grace. Maybe if you're married, it's two words, like shut up, like just... Just listen, right? I think the Holy Spirit literally gives us those two words sometimes. Uh, For me, it's been this word lately, the word significant. And I don't know if I need to like show you this. I don't know if I need to make a lot of mention of this, but can anybody else see that God is doing something significant in the life of this church right now? Come on, somebody. And so maybe that's what prompted me to start thinking about this word is just, man, God, you're obviously doing something significant in the life of our church. But then it, he just kept me coming back to the word. And so I started thinking about the significance of what it means to be a pastor, the significance of my calling in a ministry. I've been thinking about the significance of what happens in here. Listen to me every single Sunday, every single Sunday, people are, are having spiritual breakthroughs in this place. And I've just been thinking, like, I don't want to take that for granted. I want to think about how significant that is, and the part that I play in, and I hope you think about the part that you play in that. God is doing something significant in the life of this church. Some of you were here last week when I shared that uh, last week we surpassed 100 baptisms in this calendar year. Come on. And I just need to let you know, like, that's not normal. It's not. Like, what we're experiencing as a church right now is incredibly, incredibly significant. And I don't want to look past that. And so that's why I've been taking the time to just kind of, to kind of lean into this. But I would tell you that as I focus more on this one particular word, I would tell you that nothing of great significance will typically happen without the right strategy and without sacrifice, which is why a couple of weeks ago, when I kicked off this vision message, I specifically was talking about 
the strategy that we have as a church and how our strategy as a church will always be the pursuit of the fullness of both truth and grace, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago and I did my best to demonstrate to you how important it is that we don't just have a balance of truth and grace in our lives or as a church, but we should be pursuing the fullness of both of these, just like John tells us in his gospel that Jesus came from the Father and he came from the Father representing the fullness of both grace and truth. And so what happens is, If we try to minimize either one of those, either it's grace or it's truth or it's both, when we minimize truth and grace, what we do is we we leave room for subjectivity and the gospel was never meant to be subjective. I would tell you one of the greatest definitions that I have learned to describe the gospel with is the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of God's truth. That's the fullness of the gospel. Sometimes we uh, you know, hear of how love is being hijacked in our society to represent different things that don't represent the heart of God. Well, we know from 1 John chapter four that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And so I've learned the best way that I can define for you what the fullness of God's love is, is the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of God's truth. Are you starting to see and sense how important these subjects are? Which is why this will always be our strategy, pursuing the fullness of both. That's our strategy, and as they say, we're sticking to it. (laughs) But today, what I wanna talk about is the other side of significance. Today, what I wanna talk about is the importance of sacrifice. Now, sacrifice can look a lot of different ways. There's several different ways that we would say sacrifice could be represented in our lives. But today, what I wanna talk about, church, is sacrifice in the context of our finances. To which some of you just realized, great, I landed on the money message. Why did I pick this Sunday to come? There's still time to leave. But for those of you that have been around long enough and I've got relational equity with you, you, you know my heart and whether I'm preaching on this or preaching on anything else. And so before you just kind of write this off, especially if this is your first time here, I get it. I know what it's like to walk into a church where it's like, oh, great, the money message. I, this is not a money message. We're talking about the way of Jesus today, okay? And I would, t- I would say a couple of things um, that I don't think you could argue. The first thing would be this. When it comes to our finances, now nah, let me say it differently. When it comes to some of the most significant things that have happened in the life of the church, Bixie Church, not this church, Bixie Church, going all the way back to the resurrection of Jesus. When we, looked at, when we look at some of the most significant things that have ever happened in the life of the church, I would say the majority of them were preceded by financial sacrifice. The majority of these big accomplishments that happened within the church. Some of you were like, well, hey, they didn't have buildings and they didn't have church buildings when, you know, after Jesus was resurrected and they started the church. No, they didn't. But what they were doing, if you go back and read in Acts, they were selling everything that they had. People were giving up their land to fund the ministry of the apostles as they traveled around the Mediterranean rim trying to start new churches. They were giving up everything, financial sacrifice. Maybe we could look at the different things that have happened in the life of this nation. And some of us would point to maybe the Billy Graham crusades as some of the most impactful events that have ever taken place in the life of our nation. Millions of dollars preceded these crusades for Billy Graham to get up and talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and literally hundreds of thousands of people people giving their life to the Lord. Now, I would also make the case that since money oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes 
is the very thing that we want to hold on to, that's hard to let go of. I would say, but since we don't want to let go, maybe it's also the best opportunity for our faith to grow. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus only one time throughout his entire ministry put two things side by side and said, guys, on this one, you're gonna have to choose. You can't have both. In Matthew chapter six, he says, you can't love both God and money. You'll hate one and be devoted to the other. You're gonna have to choose on this one. And then throughout his ministry, kept giving us examples and parables of how one of the best things that you can do for your heart is learn to let go of the very thing that's trying to grab onto your heart, that's trying to steal your devotion from me. And so here's what I would say to preface everything else that I'm about to say. What I wanna do today is I wanna talk about the way of Jesus. For, the, for those of us that have said, you know, we're committed to being followers of Christ, I wanna show you that that should be directly related to making financial sacrifices at times for the sake of God's gospel. And you can determine whether or not you give money here or you give it somewhere else, but I just want to help to establish in your life that you need to learn what it looks like to sacrifice at times financially for the sake of advancing God's gospel, not because he needs your money, but because he wants your heart, okay? So this is not going to be a ploy simply for you to give to this church. As your pastor, my first commitment to you is help to show you and demonstrate the way of Jesus. Let me begin here. I want you to imagine there was a bank account. You get a bank account that's filled with money, only for money that you would say you have spent uh, unwisely, okay? Like you wouldn't even argue and say, yep, that was unwise spending. I didn't need those things. I don't have anything to show for it. Like no argument here. Those were bad in the moment purchases. Like there's no argument. And so let's take all of that money and let's put it into an account. And then I would tell you that the only thing that you can do with that money is actually give it away. Now for most of you, I'd say most of us, maybe not all of us, but for most of us, that sounds appealing. And I think it sounds appealing probably for two different reasons. Number one, we don't like the fact that we have spent a decent amount of money on unwise purchases in the past. And so we, we'd like the idea of getting that money back and just being able to bless it, bless other people with it. And on the other hand, I think most of us also like the idea of growing in generosity. And so if we could have all that money back to be put in an account just so that we could give it away, like we would jump on that opportunity, which begs the question this morning, then why not go ahead and put that into place now? Like, why not go ahead and be intentional now, make some sacrifices on some things that you want, not everything, I'm not saying we can't enjoy life, but make some sacrifices on some of the things you want so we can set aside some money to simply be generous with. Now, what I'm not talking about is just giving, right? Because we all give to something. I think you know this, everybody gives to something, right? You may give to Starbucks, you may give to Target, or if you're a real Christian, Walmart. Come on, Walmart people, let's go. Let's do this. We all give to something, but listen, when you just give to something, it can be uncalculated, it can be guilt-driven, um, it can be unwise. Like we give to all kinds of different things. I'm not talking about simply giving today. What I'm talking about is generosity, growing specifically in generosity because I would tell you that generosity is defined as a plan, it's having a plan. Like this is how you become a generous person, you have a plan. You have a purpose in mind of where you want that generosity to go, you've thought through it. And it usually, become, it usually comes with a percentage of what you have, not just an amount, but you've set aside, I'm gonna give this percent of my money 
away. And the reason that's important is because it's not like to distinguish between generosity and simply giving. You know, giving can be just pulling out whatever's in your pocket versus generosity is thinking, no, I'm gonna set aside. This is an intentional plan and purpose I have in mind. I'm gonna set aside a percentage so that I can give to something that is lasting. And I would tell you from personal experience, and many of you could echo this, that when we approach our finances in this way, guys, it is filled with opportunities to invest in something that is life-giving. Have you ever been on the other end of somebody's generosity? It's life-giving. Like the opportunities that come on the other side of planned, focused, intentional generosity, it can literally change the trajectory of somebody's life. It can bring hope. It can help them to see there's still a chance. You see, generosity, again, in comparison to just giving, generosity usually has other people's best you know, hopes and intentions in mind versus just our own, which is why I would say that life-giving generosity, life-giving generosity moves us to want to make sacrifices because we see how incredible the outcome could be. Like life-giving generosity helps us to, to stop and to think about a plan of what we could potentially set aside where it's like, hey, I don't necessarily need that. Um, if I were to, like, I really want to give to this over here and I can tell that this is going to make a lasting difference and this has the ability to bring and breed life and Man, I think I could get rid of some of these things over here for the sake of what I know it could do over here. And so just think about what happens in that process. Like you're sitting down and you're thinking and you're processing, maybe even praying, God, help me to see what I can do here and what is happening in this moment because it's an intentional process. I don't, wanna, don't want you to overlook that. It's an intentional process that begins to reshape your heart. I mean, how much does your heart change at times when it's like, oh yeah, you know what? Oh yeah, here's a 20. I had a 20 in my... Versus... Man, I think if I were to get rid of this or maybe, maybe just not have this for a month or two, I could actually give this and invest in something that is life-giving. You see, generosity has a plan. It has an intended purpose and usually comes with a percentage of what God has given us. And the reason I keep focusing on this idea and this principle of percentage is because when we give a percentage of what we have, it ebbs and flows with increase, with financial increase and decrease, right? It would probably make sense to you. When we give a percentage, it's going to ebb and flow with our financial increase and decrease. You get this, right? I mean, if you start out making $10,000 and you decide to give $1,000 of that away, that's a bigger sacrifice if you were to just keep giving $1,000, but then God gives you an opportunity to make $100,000. You see, choosing a percentage allows it to change and ebb and flow with financial increase and decrease. And I would tell you, listen, I would tell you based on my understanding of the scriptures that I have studied for the majority of my life that God's preferred way of giving is percentage giving. And the reason that I would say that God's preferred way of giving is percentage giving is because it can more clearly point to and focus on whether it's a sacrifice or not versus just choosing an amount. Let me show you where Jesus illustrates this in the gospel of Mark chapter 12. He pulled his disciples in and he sees that there's a teaching opportunity. He says, it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, calling his disciples to him. Again, teaching opportunity. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all that she had to live on. You see, Jesus highlighted the percentage. He highlights the sacrifice, not the amount, because focusing on a percent, listen to me, it requires for us to have a plan, to know its intended purpose. And as we put more time into that and process, process even with God about what that needs to look like, our heart begins to change. And you know this, for God, it always comes back to the heart, doesn't it? It always comes back to the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. In other words, what you love the most will get the most of you. And isn't that a good question, guys, to ask ourselves from time to time? What's getting the most of me right now? What's getting the most of me right now? And I would tell you, if you wanted to do a quick assessment of that, simply follow the breadcrumbs of your bank account. Because where your treasure is, your heart will soon follow. Let, let me come at this from a different angle. Um, I read a book not too long ago, or at least excerpts from the book. I'm not going to lie, I didn't read the whole book. It wasn't that good. But in his book, Master Your Money, uh, Ron Blue studies just the spending habits of Americans. And he determined that this is how the average American typically spends their money, that they'll spend it however they want, right? Uh, they'll re repay debt. There's things they have to pay. They can't get around it. They got to pay taxes, and so I would say one, two, and three, that's just kind of how they've chosen to live. And then they save some if they can, and then they give if it's convenient. And for the person that's maybe watching this or the person in this room that's looking at this, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and we know not everybody with us is followers of Jesus. We're incredibly grateful that you're here. And so maybe you see this and you're like, that looks normal to me, because it is, it's normal. But for those of us who follow Jesus, ready for a little of your spiritual complacency to be challenged? That's not the way of Jesus. Like Jesus would say, guys, wait a minute, look at this because that looks like it's me first and then the kingdom second. And Jesus would tell us very clearly, I never asked you, like if you wanted to follow me, I, I never led you to a me first approach to life, whether it's in, with your finances or with anything else. I've never led you to a me first approach to life. It's been just the opposite. We are supposed to take the approach of others first. That's why my kingdom is different. Oftentimes the kingdom of God is represented as upside down because a lot of the things that we would say, well, no, this is kind of just how everybody else is doing it. Jesus would say, exactly, this is why I'm going to flip that upside down. And I think he would point to things that he has said along the way through the Gospels, and he would remind us that, hey, you remember when I said the first shall be last? How as your Savior and your Lord that I didn't come to be served, but to serve? You remember how I said blessed are the poor? You remember when I told you that whoever loses their life will save it? Yeah, my kingdom is upside down and this is not what I told you to do. This is, this is not what it meant to follow me. This is a me first approach to life. I've asked you to have an others first approach to life. 
It looks like you're say it looks like you're living how you want, saving if you can, and then giving if it's convenient. And then I think he would remind us of a couple things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, you want to go back and read this later. It's in Matthew chapter six. He said, "Remember, how I said you you can't serve both. You're gonna to have to choose on this one because one's gonna own your heart." I think Jesus would say, you you remember how I said that I would take care of your needs, like to stop worrying about what you're gonna eat, stop worrying about what you're gonna drink, stop worrying about what you're gonna wear. I'm gonna take care of those things, but I need you to seek my kingdom first and above all else. And when you seek my kingdom first and above all else, all all your needs will be taken care of. Maybe not all your wants, but all your needs are gonna be taken care of. And then I think he would point to this and say, this is not seeking my kingdom first. This is seeking your kingdom first. My kingdom is just the opposite and he would flip these upside down. In my kingdom, I'm asking you to be others focused first. If if you wanna follow me, like I've, I've paved the path pretty clearly that I want you to focus on how you can be others first, not just within your finances, but within all aspects of life. But if you wanna seek my kingdom first, it can't be a me first approach to life and it can't be a me first approach to your finances. Well, Jesus, don't you want like my family to be happy? I mean, come on. I just wanna do some things that help my family to be happy and enjoy life to which Jesus said, I'm not saying you can't do that, but your happiness should never trump your faithfulness to me. And I think as Americans, maybe we get that one wrong more than the average follower of Jesus because we love our entertainment, do we not? I mean, let's be honest. We left some good entertainment. And unfortunately, what happens is we maybe even unintentionally kind of approach life with this me first approach versus others first approach to life. And I would tell you that you can break this rule if you want. I'm gonna step on some toes. Everybody ready? Put your toes underneath the seat because they're coming for you. You can break this rule if you want. I've been doing ministry for about 15 plus years. And I would tell you when I see people break this rule, being others first, having an others first approach to life in your finances and in everything else, when you break this rule, it'll end up breaking you. It might break you financially. It might break you spiritually because your heart is devoted to something other than Jesus. It might break you relationally which is why one of the number one reasons for divorce just happens to be around the subject of finances. This is why I believe Jesus gives us so much warning around being wise when it comes to our finances. Because come on guys, you have seen this. You have seen that a me first approach to life often leads to a life of consumption and a life of consumption will ultimately end up consuming you. Jesus warned against this very thing on several occasions, but maybe one of my favorite examples comes out of Mark's gospel in chapter four when Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower and the seeds. And he talks about how there was a farmer who sowed seeds on different types of soil. And depending on what kind of soil the seeds fell on, depended on what was produced. And so in Mark chapter four, verse 18, he says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. So they hear it, they know what God has said, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. And don't miss it, and no fruit is produced. Can I say it differently? Nothing significant 
will happen. Now, think about it this way as well. Did Jesus need our money? I mean, he didn't even live that long of a life, did he? Did Jesus need our money? So what would have been his motivation for talking about money? Because I think most of us know this. Jesus didn't need our money. So why did he choose to talk about it as much as he did and at length, at the lengths that he did? Could it be that he knew that if there was anything that was going to compete with our heart, with our devotion, with our commitment to following him, if there's anything that could potentially sidetrack us to confuse us, to appeal, be appealing to us, to cause us to start making concessions and compromises, could he potentially have known that if there were one thing that the majority of us would potentially struggle with in all of those areas, it would likely be money. You see, he knew that if God's kingdom was going to be first in our life, then God's kingdom had to be first with our finances because where your heart is, so is your treasure and whatever you treasure is where your heart will go. Which is why we can't do this. I'm just gonna be really candid today, is that all right? We can't do this and follow Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Jesus follower, I'm saying you can't do this and follow the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus, doesn't listen to the words of Jesus and was never represented in the life of Jesus. And if you want my unfiltered opinion this morning, I would tell you, that seldomly, if ever, will this way of life lead to something significant, something lasting. But this, <laughs> this will. This changes lives. This can lead to transformation. This can potentially accomplish some of the greatest feats for the church now and in the future. You see, an other's first approach to life will always move God's kingdom forward, but a me first approach to life will just move your kingdom forward, but it will not last. You see, giving first and then saving and then living on the rest, it requires a plan. You have to know its intended purpose and maybe you need to make some sacrifices so that you can set aside a certain percentage for the advancement of God's kingdom. It's a plan, it's a process. It's an intentional process. One more thing I want you to wrestle with today, okay? I want you to be honest with yourself. Out of these two statements, which one would you say is more true of you today? I sacrifice the way of Jesus so that I can have what I want or I sacrifice what I want so that I can follow the way of Jesus? One of these will build your kingdom. One will build God's. One will require some sacrifice on your part so that we can accomplish some significant, significant things together as a church for the glory of God and the advancement of his gospel. And the other, it might buy you a little bit more temporary entertainment, but it ultimately won't last. And to be transparent with you today, I would tell you I have lived in both of these. I have lived in both of these. But for the last 20 plus years of my life, and I would even say our lives between me and Emily, we're coming up on 20 years of marriage, we've been pursuing what it looks like to grow in life-giving generosity because we've been on the other side of it too many times to take that away from someone else. 
And we've been asking God to stretch us. And when it comes to kind of setting aside this percentage of what we're going to what we're gonna sacrifice for and what we're going to set aside so that we can, we can give to advance God's kingdom and not our own. God gave us a benchmark and that benchmark was 10%. And so we have started with that benchmark and we continue to try to grow it. And at times, maybe one of the quickest litmus tests of our hearts is when we want to do this more. The tighter we're gripping it, the more that we probably see and realize we need to start trusting God with greater levels of sacrifice. Let me ask one more question and I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit. And I want you to like, want you to like go through this with me. Do you wanna be a part of a safe church? Do you wanna be a part of a safe church? Like, I just want you to think through this for a second. Like when you tell someone that you go to Trace, you wanna be able to say, yeah, I go to Trace Church, we play it safe. We're not doing anything significant. We just like to coddle Christians and say cute things that make people feel good. Or do you wanna be a part of a significant church? You can clap, go ahead and clap, go ahead and clap. I'm never gonna. I unashamedly, as your pastor, unapologetically wanna be a part of a church that is growing in significance, growing insignificance of how it is helping marriages to men, developing men to lead their families full of truth and grace, developing women to stand firm in the gospel and stop comparing their lives to other people. A church that's willing to commit and get behind a bunch of families holding little babies knowing that the challenge in front of them is big. I wanna be a, char- I wanna be a part of not just a significant church, I wanna be a part of a dangerous church because I would tell you that we are going after something significant. Guys, we're robbing hell so that we can populate heaven. Can I get an amen this morning? We are praying bolder prayers because we believe in the power of God, not just our own abilities. We are exercising more courage to speak up more often on the one who saved our life. Why shouldn't we be talking more about Jesus? He's the most significant thing in our lives. Don't put him back in an afterthought, put him out front. He's the leader and the Lord of our lives. I pray that we would exercise more courage and more boldness in speaking the name of Jesus. We are growing in generosity so that we can advance the gospel and build his kingdom and not ours. We are dreaming bigger dreams because we do believe in him who is able to do abundantly more than what we could ever ask or imagine. Listen to me, when God looks down and sees Trace Church, I don't want him to see a safe church. I want him to see a church filled with faith-filled people, not settling for the status quo because we know that together we can accomplish something so much more significant than we ever could on our own. We gotta have the right strategy, and I believe we do. It's the fullness of God's grace and it's the fullness of his truth, but we also all have to be ready to make sacrifices, be willing to set aside our own preferences and desires and even wants at times so that we can invest in something that is lasting. All of us will come to a point in our lives where we will close our eyes for the very last time 
And there will be a list of things that we invested in that will not last. And there will be a list of things that we invested in that will far outlive our lives and continue to elevate the name of Jesus. Which one do you want to invest in? I want to invest in something that will last. I know what it's like to be on the other side of life-giving generosity. And I imagine what could happen if all of us together, not just a few of us, but all of us together decided to focus on the right strategy and to make our own personal sacrifices so that we could advance God's kingdom and not our own. Let me close with this because some of you have been asking uh, where we're at as a church. And if you're brand new to Trace, um, I'll try to catch you up a little bit. What's next for us as a church? Well, our lease um, on this building ends in about 18 months. And if we have to renew our lease, which is a possibility, um, it's gonna go way up. We got a good deal. You need to know this about your pastor. I look for smoking deals all the time. I'm all about smoking deals. And we, we actually worked out an incredible deal. It's God sent, no doubt of what we were able to get into this building for, it will more than double if we have to renew our lease. And so as I'm planning and praying, and I shouldn't say I, as we, as the leadership of this church, we're thinking about how to be good stewards and we're also thinking about, God, what is the next thing that you have for us? What is the right opportunity that we need to be prepared for? And what we've determined based on the growth trajectory of our church and what's happening in the life of our church, we've determined that we need to be looking for a 40,000 square foot building and we're likely gonna build a 750 to 1,000 seat worship center. Just to give you context, this is 500 seats in here. And we want to, to make a purchase. We want to invest in our future home so that we're no longer just spending money on things that we ultimately don't own. We don't think that's good stewardship in the long run, in the long run. And so um, right now, uh, we have determined that based on just commercial real estate in Colorado Springs, and who knows what's going to happen, right? But that's going to take about $10 million to find that kind of building, uh, that size building, adequate amount of parking. And right now, what we have in the bank is 1.15, which is incredible, by the way. Thank you for everybody that's invested in that. Like, truly, that's a bigger deal than you think it is, the fact that we've been able to save that much money in only six years of being a church that we've saved 1.15 million, but if we, want to if we want to be ready and prepared for a $10 million project, we actually need to have $3.3 million in the bank. And listen to me, the only way that that is going to happen is through sacrifice. Like if just a few of us go after this, if just a few of us see how significant things could happen in the life of this church move, I mean, significant things are happening already, but to see how God wants to use this church and I didn't say this, but I want to say it now. I want this to be a trend-changing church. You know what I'm tired of hearing as a pastor? I'm tired of hearing how the statistics are going down. And I won't even talk nationwide. Let's just talk about the city of Colorado Springs. That since COVID, there used to be 17% of the population in Colorado Springs attending a local church, and it's fallen down to 11. Anybody else want to change that trend? Because I want to be a part of a church that changes the trend. And this is just who I am. Why not us? Why not us? And why not now? Why not us and why not now? I believe that we can be a trend-changing church. I would tell you that we already are a trend-changing church. And this has never been about, hey, let's pat Trace on the back because we are going to invest in church planting. I'm praying and, 
and meeting with pastors in our city. I want, listen, if we're gonna reach the city of Colorado Springs, it's gonna take more than Trace Church. It's going to take the church of Jesus Christ, not of Latter-day Saints, just to be clear. That's a bad joke. Now, I feel like I gotta follow that up with explanation. A future sermon. Don't ad lib. Don't <laughs> ad lib. All right. 1.15, 3.3. I want to do that in 18 months. It's going to take sacrifice. It, it's going to take all of us, just to be clear. I don't know how you can contribute, but can I just ask that if you think that what God is doing here is significant, would you sit down and start to pray and think and ask uh, God, what, what could I sacrifice? What could we sacrifice? Maybe you do this with your husband or wife. Maybe you do it as a single person. Maybe you do it as a small group. What, what could I sacrifice so I could give more to the advancement of your kingdom, specifically through Trace Church? Guys, listen, and you've heard me say this. If you don't give here, give somewhere. If you don't trust me, if you're new here, and it's like, you know, look at his fancy boots. You know, I don't know if I like this guy. I don't know. Like, I can give you 10 other churches in the city that I trust the pastor. I'd give my money there. And if you need that, then again, this is, this is more about following the way of Jesus than it is just giving to a specific church. Most of you know my heart in that. Let me do this, let me pray. Um, and then I'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna make a pretty big transition because I wanna talk about something entirely different. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. God, thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. Um, thank you for the significance of what we get to see happen, the examples of life change Oh God, it's, it's been incredible. I'm humbled by it often. And I just want, like, I wanna know what my part to play is and continue to show Emily and I how we can make sacrifices to advance and invest in your kingdom. Uh, God, I pray that this would be a church of significance, that it would grow in significance and that we would all see our part to play in it. I think that's about all I can do, God. I'm just gonna hand it over to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.